Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 64 of The Raw Verdict, recapping the highs and lows from WWE's flagship show, Monday Night Raw. I am your host and humble guide, Keela Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as week 64 of WrestleSoftopia gets underway. Happy Tuesday morning, afternoon, and evening to you all as another busy week in the worlds of WWE and AEW gets underway. And I'm happy to say that WrestleMania week is almost over. We have NXT tonight debuting on Tuesday as the Wednesday Night War is officially over. Thank goodness for that, which means you will get the NXT night cap dropping tomorrow morning in your podcast feed in the AM to recap the Tuesday night fallout. And I'm looking forward to that as I finally get to breathe between Dynamite and NXT moving forward. But WrestleMania week overall was a very fun weekend. We had the two-day takeover on Wednesday and Thursday. We had WrestleMania SmackDown followed by WrestleMania's Night 1 and 2 from Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay, Florida. I thought the Night 1 was a really strong show featuring the main event of the evening, Sasha Banks defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against Bianca Belair. And it lived up to every conceivable idea I had for this match that I think most fans have dreamt up for months now. And it finally happened when Bianca Belair used that ponytail whip against Sasha Banks. And that crack was heard around the world as she hit Sasha with the KOD a short time later to win the SmackDown Women's Championship, a stellar main event from start to finish. Historic in nature, two black women main eventing WrestleMania for the first time ever, and they lived up to the billing. We hated the Reginald twist, but the hype video leading up to this match, the presentation, the match itself, definitely made that journey to this night worth it in the end. Drew McIntyre finally heard the crowd for the first time in a year, but unfortunately for him, he did not walk away with the WWE Championship. That was very curious booking by WWE because if you were trying to have WrestleMania kick off on a happy note, this would be the way to do it, but apparently they have big plans for Bobby Lashley, which I'm not mad at either. Could be a sign that a certain guy in Saskatchewan, Canada is coming back. Hint, hint, wink, wink, Brock Lesnar. And that could be a big-time matchup heading into the summer season. But I would be remiss if I did not mention that WrestleMania kicked off with a rain delay for the first 35 minutes of the show, which featured off-the-cuff promos, which allowed the stars of WWE to speak in their own voices, which was super refreshing. And unfortunately, based on tonight, we went back to business as usual for all of the wrong reasons. But to improvise on the fly to kill time, I thought everybody stepped up and did a wonderful job. Kudos to Kevin Owens for just commanding the stage when need be. The New Day for being funny as usual. For Braun Strowman compensating for a bad storyline, but cutting a passionate promo was an added bonus as well. So I thought that WWE handled the situation beautifully. There was no rain delay night two, but the first hour with The Fiend, Randy Orton, and Alexa Bliss was a mess. Thank goodness Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn came to the rescue during the second hour of WrestleMania. And from there, it felt like WrestleMania night two with Rhea Ripley being coronated as the new Raw Women's Champion by defeating Asuka prior to the main event. I thought that was the right decision by WWE because in all honesty, this was a delayed moment for well over a year. Rhea Ripley was probably one of a select few to step foot on Raymond James Stadium prior to WrestleMania 36 last year when the world was not completely shut down yet. Her feet hit the football field. She sat in the stands and she told her story. She talked about the importance of challenging Charlotte Flair for a match at WrestleMania to say, pick me. My NXT Women's Championship is worthy of this opportunity. And it happened at the WWE Performance Center. So she has the closest similarity 
to a Drew McIntyre in terms of this was supposed to be my moment. I was there in an empty building to take in what would be WrestleMania that year, but it wasn't. I cannot smell the pyro. I cannot hear the crowd. I cannot hear the sound of my theme music. She got that on Sunday via her music being played live at WrestleMania to feel the atmosphere, to sense the fireworks and to feed off the energy of the crowd. That was worth it to wait that long, just like Drew McIntyre had to do for an entire year. And just imagine the weather delayed that a little while longer. So it's all about perspective and the importance of that moment. So she got her coronation. Drew still has to wait for reasons I don't understand, but hopefully there is a solution to this very, very soon because that was a golden opportunity when people were there and you could hear the love for him and he still didn't get that moment that he was searching for last year. So he'll get it one day, hopefully with people in the building once again, but we shall see about that. But this night was culminated with the Triple Threat match featuring Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan versus Edge for the Universal Championship. And this was a spectacular main event. All three men showed up and showed out. Edge was the babyface of babyfaces on Sunday. He was a fighting champion without the championship and Roman Reigns was the most hated man in the building rightfully so for all of the right reasons but you couldn't help but think that was respectful booze coming from the fans because he does an awesome job as a heel Daniel Bryan was the plucky babyface per the usual but you could kind of sense the fans wanted edge in that spot a little bit more and the outcome was as projected by Roman Reigns that he was going to stack them up pin both men at the same time his hand would be raised he would hold the championship high above his head. A million dollar worth of pyro would go off and the fans would acknowledge him. And all of that happened in that order. And I know a lot of fans wanted the happy WrestleMania ending. To me, this was the perfect ending to WrestleMania because it resets the stage for SmackDown on Friday as to who's got next for Roman's championship. It could be Edge one-on-one. It could be Cesaro after winning in a fun match against Seth Rollins during night one of WrestleMania. It could ultimately be the end game of Big E, which I would love to see. So at least on SmackDown, there are options for WWE to work with heading into the post-WrestleMania season. As for Monday Night Raw, that's a totally different story. Historically speaking, Monday Night Raw has been the A show. That is no longer the case. SmackDown is the A show under the WWE television umbrella. But Monday Night Raw is supposed to be the show to watch the night after WrestleMania. It's must-see television, mainly for the surprises and the fallout from WrestleMania. It is supposed to produce moments that won't soon be forgotten, that you have to document it on the WWE Network as a day of or a WWE 24 special, which they have done in the past to hype up what it means to be at the night after WrestleMania. That Monday Night Raw for a long time was a hot ticket. It was a hotter ticket than WrestleMania in some cases. You had to be there to see the craziness, to take in the crowd chance to really soak up the weekend before going back home. SmackDown, when they went live on USA back in 2016, joined in on the WrestleMania fun in 2017 with the debut of Shinsuke Nakamura the Tuesday after WrestleMania. And you fed off that energy for 2018 and 2019 as well, as this was a spot to be at, to really take in the WrestleMania weekend in its totality before going back home. Now, last year during the pandemic era, unfortunately, we didn't have that really true blow away night after WrestleMania show, but it was still decent. It was still a reason to stay invested from hour to hour to hour to care about the fallout 
and to see what WWE had in store in terms of surprises. In recent years, the fans did hijack elements of the night after WrestleMania. They went into business for themselves. We had beach ball mania. We had people chanting out of pocket, which made the viewing experience very uncomfortable at times. But overall, the night after WrestleMania experience was a great one. And I've been watching them for well over 20 years, always anticipating this time of year to see who's going to show up. Who's going to show out? How would WWE flip the switch heading into post-WrestleMania season? And last night, being back in the Thunderdome takes away that energy from Raymond James Stadium. That was so great to hear for the first time in a year. But you would think, okay, here's a hook. The night after WrestleMania, what do we have in store for the people to keep them invested all through SummerSlam? The answer is absolutely nothing. This was by far the worst night after WrestleMania I've ever seen from Monday Night Raw. This was trash nearly from beginning to end with maybe a pocket of goodness here and there, but that's being generous on my part. I saw someone on Twitter saying, well, your expectations are so high for the night after WrestleMania, and if you thought this was going to be a really blowaway show, you're crazy. No. WWE set the standard for anything can happen the night after WrestleMania. They produced a fucking documentary for WWE 24 about the night after WrestleMania. So yes, clearly it matters to the company to document their second biggest show outside of WrestleMania because they know that's where the viewership comes from. And to give them a reason to come back, whether it's hyping up the superstar shakeup or doing something extraordinary heading into the summer, that is what that night is for. And SmackDown was an extension of that when they aired back to back. Now you have to wait a few more days, which is understandable to really soak in the end of the week. WWE failed to do that last night with this episode of Monday Night Raw, which fell flat on his face. I hate to say it, but it's true. Last year, we had the pandemic in full effect. Empty arena era locked in. WWE at the PC, and they made the most of what they had with their backs against the wall. Prior to Paul Heyman being removed as the executive director, those Monday Night Raws were not terrible at all. Once he left, they fell off a fucking cliff. But before then, he tried his damnedest to get new people over in a very stripped down environment. The night after Mania last year was more subdued, but it still meant something. This Monday Night Raw meant little to nothing. It forwarded little to nothing. And some of the booking was absolutely appalling when you're trying to build stars up for the future and you have them lose in the most comical way possible. And for what exactly? There was no excitement with this show. There was no urgency that would make you excited segment to segment. It felt like a very ordinary, worse than usual Monday Night Raw that happened to be the night after WrestleMania to not even tap into that euphoria two days prior is ridiculous to me. It felt like we're running in place on a treadmill with no upward momentum to speak of. And no excuse is gonna work to explain last night's show, period. They did better during a pandemic than they did with the full accoutrements of the WWE Thunderdome 3. That's a fact. And to see what they produced last night, to say this is what we will do for you after WrestleMania is a damn shame. The complete process of how to book this show needs to be overhauled. 
And what's so crazy is Vince McMahon books Raw and SmackDown and SmackDown, the go-home show for SmackDown to sell WrestleMania was perfection. Last week's go-home show for Monday Night Raw was really bland. And now you follow up WrestleMania with a really bland and lackluster Monday Night Raw and SmackDown by some miracle might be 10 times better for reasons I still don't understand when there is one man dictating the narrative. Are there different writing forces at work? One team gives a fuck on Fridays, one team doesn't on Mondays. That has to change. Booking aspects of this show last night was truly embarrassing and tone deaf. This is not the way to refresh post-mania. It's a damn shame. And they have to fix it. Because now you're comparing year to your numbers in a pandemic. If you can't stay even, that's a problem. And you couple that with the NBA being in season. And there will be a playoffs in May, June, and July. That is going to eat into those numbers year to year. And if they erode and they slip and they slip and they slip, what will Monday Night Raw do? They lucked up last year because the playoffs are out of season. And when it's football, baseball, and basketball converging, they eat into each other. That's the one lesson from the pandemic. No sport is safe playing out of season. It throws a rhythm off in terms of viewership. And WWE and AEW were remarkably spared from that. And I'm glad because it proved to me that sports converging at the same time doesn't always lead to a higher viewership bump despite how much it was missed. You can't be slouching towards SummerSlam. You have to put your foot on the pedal now and to offer compelling programming to hook viewers. And unfortunately, they failed to do that last night for the most important Monday Night Raw of the year with the possible exception of the Warrior Rumble. But let's get to it, shall we? As Monday Night Raw aired from the Thunderdome 3 at the University of South Florida, as we kick things off with Bobby Lashley arriving in the building in a popsicle orange suit, sharp as attack per the usual, alongside MVP and Matt Riddle proceeds to taunt Bobby Lashley for a match to open up the show, and he tries to cash in receipts that Bobby Lashley spoke about in the past couple of months, and Bobby beat his ass backstage and accepted his challenge as we kicked off Raw with Lashley, the reigning defending WWE champion versus Riddle, the former U.S. champion who lost to Sheamus the night before at WrestleMania, and this was basically a one-sided squash as Lashley dominated Riddle throughout the room over the barricade as we went to commercial break. We come back, and Lashley is absolutely pummeling Riddle in the ring. Riddle is just a ragdoll in there, and at one point he does make a brief comeback with some strikes and a jumping knee to Lashley. He goes up top for the floating bro, but gets caught with the hurt lock as he taps out moments later as Lashley picks up the win, dominates per the usual, and it was fine. A standard Monday Night Raw match that felt like it came out of the Warrior Rumble, heading into the Elimination Chamber, heading into Fastlane on the road to WrestleMania. So very by the numbers, it was okay, nothing special. And after Riddle put in that work against Sheamus at WrestleMania for the United States Championship, he felt like a glorified jobber in this setting, which is not a good look whatsoever. As the almighty era of Bobby Lashley continues, and he vowed to make an address later in the show, which did not happen as we had a triple thread main event, which I will get to shortly, which provided yet another hook for post-WrestleMania season. That left a lot to be desired in hindsight. Next up, our former Hurt Business members, Cedric Alexander and Shelter Benjamin versus the returning Viking Raiders, 
the only true surprise from last night's show in terms of returns, because Ivar has been injured for the past seven months with a severe neck injury. He's back. He looked great last night as Eric was basically the babyface in peril early on as Shelton was pummeling him with jumping knees, suplexes, the Olympic slam at one point. But he did make the tag to Ivar and Ivar cleaned house. He was on fire even doing his patented cartwheel to break up a double team courtesy of Benjamin and Alexander as he hit the double clothesline. Ivar makes a hot tack to Eric. They get in there, do their double team spots as they hit the Viking experience on Cedric for the win. It was good to see the Viking Raiders back long overdue. I still hate the Viking Raiders gimmick two years later, but Ivar and Eric are supremely talented as a tag team and they add some much needed depth to a very shallow Monday Night Raw tag team division that definitely needs all the help it can get post-WrestleMania season. So this was the one good pleasant surprise on last night's show that stood out. Otherwise, we can pretty much say the downfall was near. But before we got to the downfall, we had the return of the queen herself, Charlotte Flair. After a several weeks absence, she comes back to address the big elephant in the room and that she was not at this year's WrestleMania. And she said, that's unacceptable to me. I've been a part of five WrestleManias, main evented one, was the conversation for all of them. And this year, I am not even a part of the biggest show of the year. But that's beyond my control, just like the last several months of my career has been beyond my control. Like I wanted to team up with Asuka to win the tag team titles. Like I planned for my father to embarrass himself at Raw Reunion to develop a relationship with Lacey Evans. Like it's my fault she got pregnant and I couldn't beat her ass accordingly. Like it's my fault I couldn't properly challenge Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania and she left me hanging. She had me on a hook and she left me there. Twisting in the wind, but Rhea Ripley, the opportunist, the snake, takes my spot, takes my spot at WrestleMania and wins the Women's Championship. Let the record show that nobody on that WrestleMania card on Saturday and Sunday is better than me. That goes for Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, Natalia, the Wyatt Squad, Tamina, Rhea Ripley, Oscar herself, anybody in the back. Nobody can touch me because I am simply the best at what I do. And I'm sure all of the girls backstage were laughing and celebrating the fact that Charlotte Flair wasn't at WrestleMania, jumping up and down for joy that I wasn't there. But guess what? Karma's a bitch and I'm that bitch and I came to collect because sooner or later, whether it's Rhea Ripley or Asuka who walks away with the Raw Women's Championship, you will bow down to the 13-time champ. She drops the mic, she leaves the ring. I thought that Charlotte did a great job on the mic. I was really impressed with her as she really had a great tagline of that I don't take opportunities. I am the opportunity and I loved that by her. Now I love the swag and her attitude and she is perfect as a heel. No more humble Charlotte as she mentioned in her promo but she is back to being who she's meant to be a champion who is ruthless and cutthroat in order to make her way back to the top back on her throne. But I will say this Charlotte is a great in-ring performer. She is one of the best big match wrestlers in WWE history. She is a main eventer for a reason. But I look at the Baileys and the Sasha Bankses and the Becky Lynches, and in the past five years, they have evolved. They have changed who they are. And Charlotte has been the queen for five years. I mentioned this before. She has to pivot to be different, 
to tap into something that she has not tapped in before because that proves your versatility as a performer because you can say the same thing with every bit of conviction in your voice you can call out the creative and how shitty it was I co-sign on the shittiness of her creative but you have to lock into who you want to be in the here and now because basically this is an open audition for you you have the walking tall project coming up very soon I don't know when that goes into production but this is basically a way to tap into something new fresh exciting to test the waters as a performer. Roman Reigns is basically performing a highlight reel of what he would do in Hollywood eventually. Charlotte, here's your chance to give us versatility as a performer. It's a hallmark of a wrestler to say, I can do it all. And there is a template that has been set forth by so many stars in the past that you have to clear that bar now for yourself because the four horsewomen are prolific for everything they've done in this industry, but three of the four of your cohorts have absolutely taken it to the next level in their careers in the past three to four years. Now it's on you to do the same. That is your assignment now. You can talk the big game, you can tout your resume, but now you have to evolve as a performer to say, I am that bitch day in, day out, that I am a bitch with layers that I can do this on every level and go deep into those waters and get the job done. If she can do that, then Charlotte can talk all day and work her ass off just the same. I just want variety from her at this point. I want her to prove to me that she can be more than the queen because it's been that way for five years. Study your contemporaries, see what they're doing, see how they have changed the game and you do the same. I like the promo. I thought she was by far the best thing on last night's show, but now I want more. I demand it, and hopefully she delivers in the weeks to come. And that is basically the perfect segue to the Raw Women's Championship rematch involving the new champion, Rhea Ripley, versus the former champ, Asuka. And this was fine. But when we have people at the level of Asuka and Rhea Ripley, we expect better than fine. And this is boiling down to chemistry. I saw it at WrestleMania the night before, The chemistry isn't there. This is their second match ever against each other. And it showed because they missed spots. There were moments that went awry in a hurry. It just missed that extra zip that really requires this match to be taken to a different level. They're both powerhouse performers. Asuka is prolific as a wrestler. Rhea Ripley is 24 years old and we've seen her genius on several occasions But there is still growing to do. And last night was a clear example of that as they were on different pages. We had Rhea try to lift up Asuka. Now once or twice it did not work. A crucifix bomb that was supposed to go into an armbar went awry as well. It just felt off. It felt that way at WrestleMania. It felt that way last night as well. And I just felt no emotional connection to this match whatsoever, which is a shame because I really enjoy both ladies' work, but they don't gel together in the ring. I don't know if repetition will help. Some people just don't work well together. It's nothing personal, but the chemistry is simply not cooking in the ring for them. And Asuka and Rhea Ripley go on the outside. They have a little tug of war as we have Asuka lay out Rhea with a DDT on the canvas. But before they can get back in the ring, Charlotte Flair takes off her heels and she attacks both ladies, ran them to the steel steps and barricade respectively onto the ring apron as well as she boots them and lays them out. She's standing tall, and I have to say thank God for Charlotte because this match was falling apart before the DQ, and now we can set up Asuka, Charlotte, and Rhea possibly at WrestleMania Backlash next month 
on Peacock. And I'm not mad at that possibility. I think that Charlotte will provide that aggression needed to add some much needed spice to this matchup. And now she's a full blown heel. Rhea can go back to being a face because that dynamic is so weird now of her being extra aggressive on the mic. And it was a poor job by Rhea backstage as well. The scripting was terrible. It felt like she was reading from a cue card. Don't ruin what makes Rhea Ripley special. She is a badass that can speak off the cuff. So don't water down what makes her special, WWE. I beg of thee as she begins his reign as Raw Women's Champion. Hopefully a triple threat match will provide that spark that Asuka and Rhea need to truly let loose in each other and have some fun in there. And Charlotte Flair is a general, per the usual as well. And she can definitely dictate the pace. We saw that last year with Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania. And by far the best pure wrestling match of the weekend. So we know that lightning can be caught in a bottle in terms of chemistry. But unfortunately for Rhea and Asuka, that was not on display at WrestleMania or last night for that matter. And leave it to the queen to try to fix things in the ironies of ironies. Next up is a special edition of Miz TV featuring The Miz, John Morrison, and Maurice as Maurice makes her appearance on WWE television for the first time since becoming a mother times two, which was great to see as Miz and Maurice hyped up Miz and Miz's debuting tonight after Monday Night Raw. And I definitely got dreaded third wheel vibes from John Morrison. He's trying to interject himself in the conversation with Miz and Maurice Norvell. And I kind of sensed a little bit of tension between the three which could lead to a split down the road. But The Miz took this time to basically talk about how good he made Bat Bunny look at WrestleMania this past Saturday night. And I did not like that very much because it was a little bit too inside for me that I made him look good. I made him look like a star. I gave him the headlines. I made him into a legit WWE superstar. And that was just a little bit too much for me. And Damian Priest comes out to say, you're taking credit for a man that beat you at WrestleMania. He's a headline story, not you. And The Miz rightfully said, well, you're not the talk of the town. You're not the headline story. It's all about Bad Bunny beating The Miz. What did you do at WrestleMania? And that cut a little bit too close to home as well because Damian Priest is supposed to be getting the rub from Bad Bunny post-WrestleMania. He's supposed to be a guy on the rise by association. And now you kind of undercut that on the mic, which isn't a smart thing to do in The Miz challenges. Damian Priest to a match. Morrison says, I had first dibs. And then Maurice says, why don't you both challenge him to a match, make it a two-on-one handicap match. And Damian Priest agrees, and it takes place after the commercial break with Miz and Morrison in their dress clothes and Maurice at ringside providing distractions along the way. And this was a fine two-on-one handicap match, but then the finish completely took me out of this episode of Monday Night Raw because we have Damian Priest being the fighting babyface, taking out Miz and Morrison with the flip dive on the outside, hitting Morrison with hit the lights. But Miz is a legal man. He tries to sneak in and hit the skull crushing finale. That's avoided. But Maurice climbs on the ring apron to distract Damian Priest. And that allows the Miz to roll up Priest with his feet on the rope for the win. I did not misspeak. A guy that got the rub at WrestleMania with Bat Bunny, who arguably made the best WrestleMania in-ring debut in history by a celebrity, loses 48 hours after the fact on Monday Night Raw to The Miz and John Morrison in the shittiest way possible. This is not how you build a star. This was inexplicably stupid booking by WWE. I do not care that you're promoting The Miz and Mrs. for USA Network. Find another way to promote the show. Better yet, don't do the match. Apparently, the draw was the tension between Miz and Morrison, 
with Maurice Mixon for good measure. Focus on that. Don't have Damian Priest eat losses immediately following his highest profile match to date at WrestleMania that generated good headlines and press. And you undercut that via Miz's promo to Priest saying you're an afterthought. Bad Bunny was a headline. You weren't. And he gets beat in a handicap match via chicanery. That does not make sense. You are in the business of building stars and you're not building Damian Priest whatsoever. I don't care if he gets his win back because you straight up watered down his push at this point and it's completely unnecessary. A guy that was over in a tag team match with an international superstar and Bad Bunny and two days later he loses to a joke tag team with zero credibility in the ring at this point in terms of a push and merit. And then it proceeds to get even worse with our next matchup of Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke versus Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. The babyfaces jumped Nia Jax after Nia and Shayna made fun of Mandy slipping on the ramp during night one of WrestleMania post weather delay. It became a meme and people joked and it was funny and she could take the joke. She could laugh at herself. And then she slapped the taste out of Nia Jax's mouth and Dana Brooke jumped her from behind as well, which sets up this tag team match which ends with Nia Jax slipping on the apron, falling on her ass. She gets back in the ring and Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose hop off the ring apron, run up the ramp and purposely get counted out by the referee because they don't want to fight Nia Jax and they tell her to calm down. This is the state of the women's tag team division in WWE, a team that picks the fight but doesn't want to fight fair and square. What the hell was that? Another trash segment for the night after WrestleMania. The Raw Women's Division is a mess. Now you have people at the top with Rhea, Charlotte, and Asuka trying to anchor things. And then we have the mid-tier of the women's tag team scene, which is a hot-ass drizzling mess of nothing. As Shayna and Nia have wiped out the division and there is no competition left. And we have Dana and Mandy who have been beat repeatedly by them in singles and tag team matches. Make the challenge and they run away like cowards. Terrible booking that needs to be changed. Then we have Alexa Bliss with Alexa's Playground apparently owning the intellectual property to the Firefly Funhouse saying that she embraced the darkness thanks to him, the fiend. She appreciates it. She found herself after she was lost and was found by him. And then he disappears and she realizes that she's not alone, that she is greater than the dark that he provided. And now she is the darkness and she screwed him over at WrestleMania to say, I don't need you anymore. I am the power. I am the force to be reckoned with. And now she has a new friend named Lily, a doll that looks demonic in nature. And now they're pals and they're going to run the world and blah, 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 blah. Alexa tried her damnness to save this, but this gimmick has officially jumped the shark the bloom is off the rose I'm over it now the Wrestlemania finish was absolutely terrible and the fans booted after buying in initially so yeah no matter how you spin it short of Nikki Cross coming back as her tag team partner to truly wreak havoc this is a lost cause at this point we also have the rebuttal from Bray Wyatt with the return of the Firefly Funhouse and this was not good either He basically blew off everything that happened. It's a fresh season for him. 
time to make new friends. He will not speak of her again. And he proceeds to go in sanctified mode as a preacher to sanctify and bless his puppets and say they will get through this together. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. And for the first time in nearly two years since the reboot of Bray Wyatt and the initial introduction of the Firefly Funhouse, the emergence of The Fiend, which was great. Conceptually, this was a great idea nearly two years ago. But now, after seeing what happened at TLC, what happened at WrestleMania, I am officially over this entire gimmick of Bray Wyatt because every time it goes somewhere, it goes south, and now you're left with an empty preacher gimmick. This too has jumped the shark. I don't blame him necessarily because there is a certain genius to him, but I think it's being watered down by WWE booking at this point, which is a shame. And he can be a victim of not self-editing his work as well. But this was completely bereft of anything good to grasp at, to say this is the Bray Wyatt that we know and love. And Alexa Bliss is trying, but this thing has gone south. And they worked amazingly well together as a duo. Chemistry for days, WWE has ruined that, and that is a damn shame as well. Next up is MVP talking about the greatness of the almighty WWE champion Bobby Lashley and that he made Drew McIntyre go to sleep at WrestleMania. He stripped him of his dignity, his respect, and ultimately laid him out at the biggest show of the year. Nobody is man enough to take out Bobby Lashley. And then I thought to myself, someone is going to hit their music and it's going to be beautiful And it's going to be a nice post-WrestleMania surprise. And sure enough, that did not happen as Drew McIntyre came out to say that Bobby Lashley can build up his ego to be the most dominant champion there is. And then I'll be the one to take him down once and for all. Then we have Randy Orton saying, I am so done with Alexa Bliss and The Fiend. I'm free to be back in the championship picture where I belong. So step aside, you McIntyre, because you lost last night at WrestleMania. I won my match against The Fiend. Then Braun Strowman comes out to say, I beat Shane McMahon at WrestleMania. I should be next in line for the WWE Championship. Drew McIntyre just steps to the back of the line as well. And then we have MVP saying, none of you are worthy. All of you head to the back. And then Adam Pearce comes out to say, I want you guys to fight it out in a triple threat match. And the winner will face Bobby Lashley for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania Backlash on Sunday, May 16th on Peacock. And I thought this was a very underwhelming way to set up the main event for the evening, which was not set prior to the show coming on the air, which says all that you need to know about the night after WrestleMania, which segues perfectly into the main event of the evening featuring Orton, Strowman, and McIntyre going head-to-head-to-head in a triple threat match with the winner moving on to face Lashley for the WWE title at Backlash next month. And this was perfectly fine. We had Braun Strowman trying to charge after Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton at the same time. McIntyre stops Strowman in his tracks with a still step shot to the face followed by Orton dropping McIntyre with a belly to back suplex on the announce table as we went to commercial break. We come back and not a lot changed after the break as we have both McIntyre and Strowman in the ring fighting against each other until McIntyre wakes up, which allows he and Orton to fight on the outside as Strowman's laid out. And during this time, we have Orton chuck McIntyre over the announce table before getting 
blindsided by a tackle courtesy of Strowman on the outside with no train sound effects for a change. Thank goodness for that. So Strowman tries to get Randy back in the ring, but gets caught with a draping DDT between the ropes, followed by the RKO that is broken up by Drew McIntyre, delivering a low-key claymore out of nowhere to Orton as he pins the Viper to move on and face Bobby Lashley in a rematch for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania Backlash next month. McIntyre has little time to celebrate the win as we have MVP appear on the main stage. And my heart skips a beat for a moment because I see the Hurt Business on the Titan Tron. I'm thinking, okay, it's a reunion. It's a swerve after all. But no, instead, it's T-Bar and Mace, former members of Retribution, taking out McIntyre with a double choke slam, And they stand on the outside looking back at MVP, a man that had a bounty on them last year to beat their asses and get paid by WWE for a job well done. So I don't know what the alliance is moving forward, but I really hope if they're a part of the new revamped Hurt Business that they take off the masks and be Dominic Dijakovic and Dio Madden in a perfect world that would work. We shall see. This was an okay way to end last night's show. But this episode of Monday Night Raw, the Raw after WrestleMania, left a lot to be desired. There is one trope in WWE that remains the same. It's going to be rematch mania with backlash. That is a tradition like no other. I'm fine with that. My issue is the lack of surprises and really bad booking by WWE. The Damian Priest loss is the most egregious thing of the night that I simply do not understand. But it just lacked that specialness of this is our biggest show of the year. Here are the surprises. Let's go. There is no refresh for this show that desperately needs it. Booking is still a serious issue. And it was on full display last night. Divisions are not where they should be right now. And some call-ups and competent booking would be a great way to shore things up. It's not like we're asking for the biggest names to appear. We're asking for people to elevate Monday Night Raw to make it better than it is right now. And to have your most important show of the year with the most eyeballs be booked and presented like that was inexcusable. This was by far the worst Raw After Mania I've ever seen, short of fans hijacking the show, sometimes with a good reason, sometimes with none. If this show took place last night with fans, it would be ugly. It would be very ugly. I don't think that WWE would be that lax, but I simply do not know. What I do know is that when WWE was in this very same situation last year, they did better at the WWE Performance Center. Go back prior to Paul Heyman leaving in June 2020. Those Raws were not bad. They were not that bad. You did have liberties of what you can do on the mic. You had liberties of pretty creative matchups along the way. People were getting over in an empty arena, but it was better than what we got last night. So there is a formula to success that WWE followed at last year's WrestleMania. And it worked. It wasn't always perfect, but it worked. And I don't want to hear the excuses because when you document how important this night is, then you should present it as such. When you show us behind the scenes of how you built up to this Monday after Mania, I don't want to hear excuses because you set the standard years ago, well over a decade ago. For me, 20 years ago, when it was very understated, but it was still the night after WrestleMania. There are expectations, even in a pandemic. 
surprises can still happen. Look at other promotions. You can still shock the world time and time again. And WWE did that for last year's WrestleMania in some cases. This year, with the benefit of better sets and a bigger place to work at, the presentation fell flat. And they have to fix that in the future. And on that note, this wraps up episode number 64 of the Raw Verdict, recapping the highs and lows from WWE's flagship show, Monday Night Raw. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can follow me on social media at Lady Wrestling X on Twitter and on Instagram at WrestleSubtopia. They can find me tweeting and gramming about these podcast shows that drop on the semi-daily, recapping Monday Night Raw, AW Dynamite, NXT, and Friday Night SmackDown on Fox. Feel free to download past episodes on all of your favorite podcast directories, dating back to season one as we are now in that post WrestleMania lol. You know what to do. Search WrestleZoptopia and follow me on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Plus, Amazon Alexa, and Spotify. I'll be back tomorrow morning with the re-debut of the NXT Nightcap, recapping the highs and lows from WWE's Black and Gold brand. Until then, enjoy your Tuesday. Stay safe out there and don't forget to wash those hands. See you later, boys and girls. Take care.